Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he will make my feet like hinds feet, and he will make me to walk upon high places, and I will joy in the God of my salvation. I want to talk about true joy this morning. And true joy is only found in the Lord. And of that, there's no doubt. You know, you can read these self-help books and you can read these popular psychology books all telling you how to, 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 to get this joy. And you can see people trying to find joy when trying to find a, a new them, a self as such. You know, they're, they're not happy with the way they are. It just... When we were walking around, you could see young girls and these false eyelashes on. They're like sunshades right there somewhere. And their lips are like olive oil with the lips pumped up. But you know the thing I noticed about them? There was no joy in them. They were seeking for some kind of joy. And it just wasn't there. And you know, that joy can only be found, as I've said, in the Lord. I read about a pastor who was speaking one day about creation. And he said, remember, as he thundered to his congregation, the same creator who made the vast ocean, made the glistening dewdrop, the same creator who made the mountain range, made the flawless gemstone. And then he paused and he gave it the pastoral stir to the congregation just to emphasize this great point he was making. And he said, the great creator who made me made a perfect pansy. And he was talking about flowers, by the way. He wasn't talking about himself. And you know, it is good if you hear a good joke to laugh. Not if you hear one like that. But it's sad that some people don't enjoy the presence of the Lord. I've known Christians, and the next time they smile, it'll be the first time they've used them facial muscles in years. I always remember Davy Hobson when he led the worship. Before he started to sing, he says, give your face some exercise and smile. But Davy could get away with that. <laughs> but you know something? When you, you look at the background of Habakkuk, and we're not going to go into it too much this morning, I'm sure you all know the story. There's impending judgment upon Israel. And their enemies were prospering. And this young man who loved the Lord just couldn't understand why this was happening. Why this was happening. Even though there was apathy towards the Lord. But what he did was he prayed, and he learned from his prayer that God was in control. You see, he just looked through his own eyes, and all he could see was the enemies of Israel prospering. All he could see around him was iniquity growing, immorality being praised, things of God being ignored. And he was sad. But then when he prayed, he began to realize that God is in control. And from that time, he determined that no matter what was going on, he would joy in the God of his salvation. The couple of Wednesdays ago, I was sharing, and I've shared this before and here, uh, that Hebrew word joy, it's, it's a word called gil. It's one of my favorite words translated. It means to have so much joy that you spin around with intense emotion. In other words, you're so happy you can't control yourself. It's a word that was used for David when he danced before the ark as the ark was brought back into the house of the Lord. 
And as I've said, people are searching for joy today, but they can't find it because they're looking to the world. C.S. Lewis, he said, we have learned that joy is more than a sense of the comic, more than earthly pleasure, and to a believer, even more than what we call happiness. Joy is the enjoyment of God and the good things that come from the hand of God. I love that there. Joy is the enjoyment of God. When you come into the presence, you should be enjoying the presence of the Lord. No one should be putting you off. No matter what is being sung, no matter who's preaching, no matter who's sitting two rows in front of you, you should be enjoying the presence of the Lord. All things in the presence of God phase into insignificance when you worship Him and when you enjoy His presence. And we might look around us and as we looked at a couple of months ago, if you remember, I was talking about China and the South China Sea while we're all looking towards Russia. Now we see it's coming to pass and China and America are going to have a go at each other and we're looking and we're worried and we're concerned and all the other things that are going on in the world and the economic disaster which is going to come upon us. But we've got to look to God. And when we look to God, we get reminded of some things. We get reminded of the insignificance of the things of the world in the presence of Almighty God. We get to remember that we are saved. No matter what goes on in the world, that should make you joyful that you are saved because salvation is meant to be a wonderful experience. It's a release from sin and the sin which will <coughs> take you into a lost eternity. Salvation is a wonderful experience. It gives you the certainty of eternal life in Christ Jesus. And that should make you happy. And that should give you a peace which passes all understanding. Walter Knight <coughs> said, Joy is the flag that flies over the castle of our hearts, announcing that the king is in residence today. You know, I found that quote I thought of Pastor McCulloch. Because he always sang... That one, you know, there's a flag flying high in the castle of my... Don't give me a solo. The king is in residence there. The flag is flying in the castle of our hearts. No matter what happens in this life, despite all the sufferings, we are going to reign with him in glory. We have got the Lord Jesus Christ. We've got to stop being down, but stop complaining and, and looking at how we think the devil's prospering, how we think immorality and iniquity's prospering, how we think that good's become an evil and evil's becomes good. We can be concerned about that, but it should not take away our joy because God is in control. Certainly as a nation, we're reaping what we've sown. Uh, America, Britain, Australia, the, 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 you know, the covenant peoples, but they're, they're, that's happening because they've turned their back on God. But you know something? God will not break his covenant and he will bring a blessing and he will bring revival. He came to give us joy. He said, I have come that they may have life, that they may have it more abundantly. Think about that. The people in the world, they do not have the abundant life that you have. And that abundant life is only coming from the Lord Jesus Christ. As I've said, there's joy out there, but it's temporal. And it's not eternal in the Lord. Jesus said he's come to give us life more abundantly. Whilst our enemy, the devil, he is the thief that cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And so the question we've got to ask ourselves this morning, 
Do we have this life more abundantly? Or are we letting Satan destroy the joy of our salvation? And I've said it many times, sometimes we give Satan too much credit. Are we allowing the carnal man in us to destroy the joy of our salvation? When we come to the house of the Lord, are we glad we're in the house of the Lord? When we live each day and, <clears throat> and things happen in life, are, are, are we just refusing to give up but keeping focused on the Lord Jesus Christ and all that he's done for us? Because you know something, we need to really look at life and really ask ourselves, not our neighbors, am I going to enjoy the God of my salvation? You know, James 4 and 14, it's a very sobering verse. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. Life is short. I'm not trying to be morbid, but it's not that long. It's a short time we spend in this earth. We do have an eternity ahead of us, but God wants us to enjoy this life. God wants us to have the joy which he gives to us in this life. God wants us, when we come into his presence, to be joyful, to lift up our hearts and worship and praise his name. God wants us, as we go about daily in our lives, that when people look at us, they'll not understand, high on earth could you be so happy? High on earth can you be so peaceful when all that's going on in the world? I remember someone said that to me in work. The certain thing was going on in my life, and this individual knew about it, and he says, how can you be so joyful? How can you be so peaceful? And it was a good opportunity to say, because the Lord's in control. And if this is going to happen, it's going to happen, but God is in control, and I can trust him. Life is too short to be miserable all the time. I told you about a guy I worked with. We called him Rain Cloud. Nothing pleased him. No matter what happened, he found the negative side of it. Do you ever meet people like that? Everything's negative. We were being taxed, I remember, in my last job. And they were taxing us wrongly. They were taking a tax of an allowance that we were meant to get tax-free. And they've been doing it for a number of years. So we all got a big uh, handshake. And it was quite a good sum back then. But I remember Rain Cloud coming in. And you know, everybody else was saying, oh, that's good, that'll help the mortgage, that'll, oh, I'm going to go away on holiday, and I'm going to, rain cloud, he came in, oh, they're going to tax us. <laughs> the taxes on the things that they shouldn't have taxes on. Just the negative side of things. And you know, are you negative? When you come into the house of the Lord, are you negative? Are you spreading your negativity to other people? It's something that you're not happy with, are you going to tell everybody else and make them miserable? Or are you going to look to the Lord? We should be joyful when we come to the house of the Lord. And we should share that joy in the house of the Lord. And we can share that joy when we love one another and worship together. You see, like Habakkuk, despite our situation, despite what the world would say is the success of our enemies, and in the midst of every trial and tribulation, joy is the surest sign of the presence of God in your life. Joy is the surest sign of the presence of God in your life. And you should be joyful in the God of your salvation. <clears throat> and you know, like I've said about Mr. Negative, there's always in church the abbots. That's an abbot. That's not Brother Hugh Sloan in his night shirt. That's an abbot. But that's not the abbots I'm talking about. You know, when something's going well or something as good is happening, 
and Nabbot will come along. Ah, but that's easy for you to say. Ah, but you don't know what I'm going through. Ah, but if you had my pains. I remember visiting the lady, I'll not say her name, dear helper, and you'd have went and you'd have been sitting talking to her, and maybe someone in the church was ill with a sore back. And the first thing, ah, but they haven't got the pains I've got. <laughs> Somebody hurt their finger, ah, but they haven't got the sore finger I've got. The, abbot, the abbots are all around us. <clears throat> and you know, there's no great secret to happiness. As you know, I've studied, not as much now, but I've studied psychology for years, and there, 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 there's advocates of different approaches in psychology, and, and they'll tell you this is the way to find joy, you know, to, to, uh, to be self-loving and, uh, and even selfish at times to find this joy. But you know, one thing I've found in it, it's, it's temporal. It's temporal. The true happiness that we have found and I've found in people is when they know the Lord God and when they know the God of their salvation. And you know, we can really be happy and find God's peace. And this morning, maybe you think, well, that's me. I can't find God's peace and I can't be happy. Well, there is no secret to it. We can enjoy God's peace right now. And if you look at the Word of God, there's basic biblical principles that we can apply to each and every one of our lives that will encourage us uh, to give attention to the positive things that God has done for us and to just treat the negatives like a learning experience. You know, the things you go through in your life, you can do one or two things. You can learn from them or you can continue to dwell in them. They can be positive where you can learn from even the bad things. Or they could be negative when you just let it destroy your, your, your spirit or you do it again. And so what have we to do? Well, I think they're so basic. The first one that I would suggest is put God first in your life. When you put the Lord first in your life, then you will enjoy the presence and the joy which only God can give. And one way you can do that, to put God first, is to honor the Sabbath to honor the Sabbath. Now, I'm not going to go into a debate about the Sabbath being a Saturday. And honor the Lord's day. It's maybe a better way of putting it. You know, I read a story, I think I told you this before, about a pastor who had not yet been given a permanent position in the particular church that he belonged to. But he was sent to this country church for a good friend of his, a colleague, had been ill. And he'd been going, there was quite a journey every day. Uh, obviously it was in America and I've been in churches in America and even speaking to the, some of the congregation I remember being in a church and I met a, talking to a family and, and they were telling me there was a two hour drive to church and then a two hour drive home again so it's quite common out there that people do travel quite a bit but this guy had to travel quite a bit for this church he'd been doing it for a month and after about four or five weeks I think it, it, it was he decided to call into a coffee shop on the way home and refresh himself before this long drive he had. And whilst he was there, this waiter uh, came over to him and, you know, my name's Bud, you know the way they do in America, and I'm your servant today, I'm your waiter today, and asked who he was, and he said, well, I'm a pastor, I'm covering for my colleagues such and such in this church, and he isn't well. And the waiter said, I'm a member of that church. And the pastor thought to himself and said, well, I've been there four, maybe five weeks, and I haven't seen you yet. And the guy said to him, <clears throat> he said, I'm a member, I'm not a fanatic. I'm a member, I'm not a fanatic. And he couldn't believe that answer. You know, 
I mean, I've got to be honest with you, my parents were, were, were members of the uh, Braniel Presbyterian and Methodist Church, and the only time the two of them were in it was my wedding. But they were members, you know, and there are people like that church, they say they're a member of the church, but they don't honor God. They don't honor God. Exodus 20, verse 8, says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You see, you're not putting God first if your Sunday isn't set aside for coming into the house of the Lord. Certainly, you can have holidays, you can have breaks, you can have illnesses, and that doesn't mean you're not putting God first. But you should be here every week that you're not on holiday. You should be here every week that you're not sick. You should be in the presence of the Lord, setting aside one day to worship the Lord. If we treat the table of remembrance as a take it or leave it, then we are dishonoring God. If the world and its temporal joys are more important than coming to church, you're not putting the Lord first in your life. It was really sad uh, just reading uh, the news, well, reading an article uh, from a newspaper when I came home. I <clears throat> have been a Linfield supporter from when I was born. There's a story, my mother's family were Turn supporters, my dad's family were Linfield supporters. And I'm told, and I'm sure it's true, that my granddad Stevens, I was born in Wales in Supermoor uh, in England, and we won the Euros the other day, if you didn't notice. And it's a story that he came to England and reached into my cot and put a Linfield scarf on me <laughs> and claimed me for the blues. So I've been a Linfield supporter from a few days old. I was really saddened to read that they're now going to start playing their games on a Sunday. And you know, it's just more and more the world is taken over. And although I'm not a great attender to Windsor Park, but I can assure you I'll not be there on a Sunday. It's sad to see that. The Lord's Day has just been treated as another day, another holiday. I know there's people have to work, there's shops on all open, and you go down past Tesco's there on your way home, and you'll see the car park is packed. You know, five, six days a week to shop, but it has to be a Sunday. Is that the way people treat the Lord's Day? We shouldn't as Christians. The psalmist said in Psalm 84, verse 10, a day in thy courts is better than a thousand, for I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. A day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. I always attributed that psalm to David. But just reading, studying actually, I found out that it, uh, it was attributed to the, if I'm pronouncing it right, the Kohathites. And if you remember Kohath, he decided that Moses uh, was not the leader, uh, even though they uh, were told that God had called Moses. And he wanted to be the leader. And he accused Moses of bringing the children of Israel into the wilderness. And you know, the reality was it wasn't Moses that brought them into the wilderness. It was their sins. Moses brought them out to bring them into the, uh, the promised land as God commanded. But because they sinned and made a God for themselves and turned their back on God, they spent 40 years in the wilderness. But Kohath, he was blaming Moses and the Lord took him. And, the, and you know, we're not going to go into that full. I'll just study for you someday. It's a wonderful study. But his sons were spared. It was another one, uh, Mehatsa or something his name was. And him and his family were standing at the door of their tents and his whole family were swallowed by the earth. But only Kohath was taken. And his duty, he was a Levite, and his duty 
was to look after the doors uh, of the tabernacle. And his sons carried on that duty. And when you realize that, you understand more what they're saying here. They would rather be doorkeepers in the house of God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. They learned a lesson. Their father lost his life through turning on the servant of God. But they and their descendants carried on that work that God had given them as Levites. All all priests were Levites, but not all Levites were priests. They were all given different allocations to do different jobs. Some, uh, when the tent was moved, it was their job to pack the tent. Others, it was their job to move the tent on the back of a cart. And as I say, the Kohathites, it was their job to look after the door of the house of the Lord. And when you understand that from Psalm 84, verse 10, you can just see them, you know, they, they just love so much being in the presence of the Lord. And they didn't mind or didn't care if they had this, uh, I wouldn't say it's any job in the house of the Lord's low, but the, the, this quieter job, just looking after things at the back and looking after the doors, they just rather be there because there was so much joy for them in the presence of the Lord. Again, the Psalm 122, verse 1, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Honestly, were you glad to be here this morning? When you were making your way here, were you looking forward to coming in? When you were making your way here, were you looking forward to worshiping the Lord along with the praise teams? When you were making your way here, were you determined that no matter what is facing me tomorrow, <coughs> I'm going to joy in the God of my salvation. I'm going to honor this day and worship the Lord. Attendance in God's house, folks, it should be sacrosanct in our lives. It should be. Why? Well, Psalm 147, 1, He healeth the broken in heart and bindeth up their wounds. Think of that. We sing another little song, in his presence, in his holy presence, the weary can find perfect rest, the broken are restored. In his presence, in his holy presence, there's nothing like the presence of the Lord. And there really isn't anything like the presence of of the Lord, folks. When you're worshiping the Lord and the presence descends, and you see people with broken hearts being restored, and you see people being encouraged in their faith, and we can encourage one another when we worship the Lord. We can encourage one another just as we can put someone off by our negativity. We can encourage people by our positivity because you don't know what that person sitting beside you is going through. And there are people sitting here this morning and they're going through horrendous situations in their lives. And you don't know what they are, and I don't know what they all are. I know some of them. But you know something? They need encouragement in the house of the Lord. They need to be sitting beside someone who is worshiping the Lord and encouraging them. Not sitting beside Sarbeck, who's chewing a lemon. But sitting beside someone who just, I'm here to worship God. I'm here to praise God. And I'm going to praise and worship his holy name. Church, we all need <coughs> recharged. We all need built up in our most holy faith. And we can encourage one another. And you know something, church? I want to be an encourager, not a discourager. I want to worship God and encourage people to worship God in unity. That wonderful psalm Brother Sloan spoke of a couple of weeks ago. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And it's like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garments. As the Jew of Hermon, 
and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. And I always think about this illustration of when Aaron was anointed with the oil. He was wearing the breastplate, and on the breastplate was 12 stones. And each of these stones were set where God wanted them to be set. This was God's plan, God's purpose. And as this oil was poured on Aaron's head, the oil came down and it came down onto their breastplate and touched the stones. And the illustration is there that the anointing of the Holy Ghost comes down through our head, the Lord Jesus Christ, and comes down upon us and touches us when we worship His precious name. What a privilege, church, to come into the presence of the Lord and to give Him all the glory. What a privilege to come into the presence of the Lord this morning, to know that God will be here when we arrive. Isn't that wonderful? To know that the Lord will be here when we arrive. He can set the captive free. God, I believe, can get the, let the lame walk and the deaf hear. He can let the blind see, and he can let the lame leap for joy. When? When we come into his presence and worship the Lord. Church, let's all make Sunday the most important day of the week for us and come to the house of the Lord. No matter who's preaching, no matter who's singing, no matter what songs they're singing, maybe it's a bit cold, maybe it's a bit warm, it's God's presence we're coming for, not the building. You know, church, I know you're not all here to hear me this morning. You're here to honor God, as I am here to honor God. It's nice to see you all, but we're here for one purpose, honor God and praise his precious name. You know, I remember hearing of a pastor being asked once, uh, someone and a bit of the old uh, green goddess had taken them in jealousy and a family were doing well and they had three or four cars at their door so they, this individual went to the pastor and said, do you think it's right all the poor people in the world and all the hungry people in the world? He says, is it okay for a Christian family to have three cars? And I thought the pastor was very good. He says, well, it all depends where they're parked on a Sunday. Amen where they're parked on a Sunday. Church, let's honor God by coming to the house of the Lord and we can have the joy in his presence. Another way to have joy in your life is to walk worthy of the vacation wherewith you were called. Think about that. You know, my last job, I was representing the organization. That's this job I'm representing God, so that's even more important. But there was standards and we went below that standards, we were disciplined. And so we had to walk in them standards. We had to behave with certain standards and could only do certain things. And you as a Christian, there are standards. They won't earn you salvation, but they'll show your love for God. We've, we need to personally deal with things in our lives which are separating us from God. Sin problem it could be. And we need to let the Lord move in our lives. It's so easy to say, Lord, will you touch Alan Stevens and change this and change that? God will change me if he wants to change me. But we need to pray for ourselves. We need to pray individually. Thomas Barra, you've never read anything by him, he's very good. He said, a Christian is a man who feels repentance on Sunday for what he did on Saturday and is about to do it again on Monday. You know, that's not working worthy of the vacation we're with, we're called. Are we unsettled in our spirit? 
Do we seem unable to break through in prayer? Do we not feel any anointing when we worship? It's so easy to, if we feel like God, to say, well, it's him up there, it's his fault. No, it's not. It's your fault. Because no matter what goes on in life, think of what Habakkuk said. All these disasters, he didn't care. I will joy. He was determined to joy in the God of his salvation. And he knew that God was in control and God would see them through. And sometimes the Lord's talking to us. Deuteronomy 8 and 5. Thou shalt also consider in thine heart that as a man chasteneth his son, so the Lord thy God chasteneth thee. And of course, Hebrews 12 and 6, we all know so well. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. Know of a fact, church, that the Lord loves you. The Lord knows you. He knows you're going out. He knows you're coming in. And know of a fact, know of a fact that he doesn't want to destroy you. He doesn't want to ruin your life. I love Luke 9, 56. For the Son of Man is not coming to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And John 3, 17 is another one I love. The Son of Man came not to destroy men's lives, but to restore them. Know of a fact that God loves you. The psalmist, he was able to say it in that wonderful psalm. I actually think that's wrong. It's psalm 116, not Psalm 166, because there is no 166. Psalm 116, 1 and 2. I love the Lord. I love the Lord because he hath heard my voice and my supplications, because he hath inclined his ear unto me. Therefore will I call upon him as long as I live. That's the voice of someone who has been through terrible experiences, but he loves the Lord. He loves to come into the presence of the Lord because in the presence of the Lord, all them other things fade into insignificance and he worships and prays the Lord. It's a man who knew that no matter how much we have fallen, God is still there to restore us unto the joy of our salvation. You know, if you did something wrong, and we have all the potential to do something wrong, you know, someone pushes a wrong button in our lives, it would scare you what potential you have to do something wrong. And then there are those that would destroy you when you make a mistake. I want you taken out of the car park and stoned. But you know what Jesus wants? He wants to restore you. He wants to restore you. And you know, if you've slipped up, and believe me, we've all slipped up, don't feel down. Don't feel sad. Feel rejoicing in that God is willing to forgive when you genuinely repent and turn to him. He wants you to joy in your salvation. You know, look at the people that Jesus reached out to. Who did he reach? He didn't reach out to the religious people. He reached out to people whom the world wanted to destroy, people whom religion wanted to burn in hell. He reached out to a tax collector. He sat down and talked to a prostitute at the well, a Roman centurion who was hated by the local people. He reached out and he touched lepers. A Pharisee he reached out to and sat, even though the Pharisee came to him by night, Nicodemus, he sat down, he spoke to him, he reached out to him. Jesus reached out to those who were unlovable and unwanted. And he's reaching out to you and to me. People might not accept you. People might not want you. And that's sad for them because the God of your salvation wants you. And he wants to restore you. He wants to restore you. He reached out in love. 
<clears throat> not expecting them to beg for forgiveness, but expecting them to just turn to him and believe in him. I love them words which he gave to the adulterous woman. He said, neither do I condemn thee. But he did go on and say, go and sin no more. And that's true repentance. I always say that repentance is genuinely sorry. Not sorry you were caught, but sorry you actually did it. I'm sure you've heard me with this before. Remember the children when they were younger? And my wife's telling them, no, you're not allowed a biscuit. And one of them took a biscuit. And she was very sorry. But she was only sorry she was caught. She didn't, wasn't sorry she had the biscuit. <laughs> but that's true repentance. Sorry that you actually did it. You know something, church? We're in the presence of the Lord this morning where we should be. And he is here today to heal a broken in heart and to restore unto you the joy of your salvation. You know, there's one way we, we, we plague ourselves. And it can happen to each and every one of us because we think for others. We think for others. There's people who lose sleep, suffer anxiety, suffer stress. They refuse to listen to advice from others. In fact, they can even get offended when you suggest that they actually should be wrong. We need to be careful of the stones that we throw in case we hit an innocent person. And as I said earlier on, you don't know what that person beside you is going through. And you might be up this morning raising your hands and worshiping and looking at them and thinking, why are they not doing it? Because there's something going on in their life which is troubling them. We can look at them and say, oh, wasting your time coming or they're not right of that. You know something? Don't think for other people. Pray for other people. Pray for other people. Everyone in this room comes from a different background. There's not two people in this room are identical. In fact, research in psychology has taken two identical twins, born in the same house, brought up by the same parents, went to the same school, same socioeconomic background, same friends, hung about with the same friends, and yet they were both of them were two completely different characters. So no two people are the same. We've all had different experiences. We've all dealt with life differently. And only God is the one who can judge who is right and who is wrong. We don't know. We can make our assumptions. We can make our assumptions, but we don't actually know what a person's going through. Yet it is human nature to reject those who don't fit into the box that we believe they should. I remember working with two guys. And I can't remember how it actually happened. I think it was something stupid, like one of them walked past one of them and either touched shoulders or... But anyhow, the one that walked past, he was deeply offended. And he was going around telling everybody, he says he's doing this and he thinks this. And the two of them actually ended up physically fighting. And you know, all they really had to do was go to one another and talk. And the guy that nudged him as he walked past was trying to get home quickly because something had happened. But this other guy, oh, I know. And we tried to tell him, no, no, he knew better. And that's what I mean about thinking for other people. I know him, he doesn't like me. No, you don't know him. Just because somebody doesn't say hello, there might be something else in their head. Remember someone complaining about a pastor that he always <clears throat> walked past them and as soon as church was over. And I said, you know something, I can tell you from experience. You can see people in church who've been ill, who haven't been out to church. And so as a pastor, you try and get to them so that see if they're okay 
they're glad they're back. And that means you might have to walk past somebody. You know, so it's not that one person is more important than another, but there are reasons that people maybe walk past you. So don't judge them and think, that ignorant gansh there, see, he never even looked at me. You don't know what's on their mind. They know, we know as ministers, our elders know as elders, people may be suffering. People maybe need a word of encouragement. So don't think for other people because it destroys your joy. The Bible requires you to talk if there's a problem, but not to yourself, but talk to the Lord and talk to the other person. I like James 1, 19 and 20. Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So let's stop assuming what other people are thinking and give them benefit of the doubt. Give them encouragement and help them in their walk with the Lord. Just come to a close here. The greatest way to find joy in your life is to look to one person, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't look to your neighbor. They're maybe nice people. The friends that you meet in church, they're nice people, but they're people who make mistakes. They're not perfect. But if your focus is on the Lord Jesus Christ, then you will have joy because other people in your mind might fail you and your thoughts might be doing what you want them to do. But you know something? When you look to Jesus, you have to surrender to his love and his mercy, to his kindness, to the many blessings that he has given you in your life. When you look to Jesus, you remember the promise that there is for every Christian. And that's found in Revelation 21, 1 to 5. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. There was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God, out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And listen, church, this is the future we have. And I heard a voice a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. Honor his day. Honor his house. And you will be full of the joy of the God of your salvation. And only you can enjoy the presence of the Lord for yourself. And only you can open your heart to receive what God wants you to receive. And then bless him the many blessings that you have each and every day. The very fact that you're here this morning is a blessing, isn't it, church? The very fact that to know that when you leave, God will be with you. And as I say, the very fact that even if we do, as the prophets of doom are telling us, go into these wars and all these bad things happen, you know something? There's a line drawn by God. And he will say, but for the elect's sake, these days shall be shortened. And he will return. And that gives me great joy to know that the Lord 
will return in glory, and we shall be with him for eternity. Now, if that doesn't make you smile, nothing will. Amen. Praise the Lord. Could the uh, worship team believe it there? The worship team come back. Just lead us in a closing worship as we lift up the name of the Lord.